welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey. Uh, I'm joined by uh, the owner of MKE Puppy Pal LLC, um, uh, which uh, aims to help dogs overcome their fears. And I'm excited to talk about um, to her about what she does and why she does it. And uh, also really excited to talk about dogs because we don't talk about animals nearly enough on Mr. Nice Guy. So Justine Garner, thank you for joining me tonight. Great, thank you so much, Ben, for having me. You're very welcome. I'm so excited to share with you my experiences, hustling dogs here in River West and all over Milwaukee, really. I'm, I'm stoked to talk about it too. Um, to start, um, how was your day today? It was pretty nice. I got to bike on over to Shorewood and that's where a few of my clients are. Mm -hmm. And then I biked back to River West and was able to take a nap mid-afternoon and then go back out there and yeah, did a few more sessions in the afternoon. So it's kind of, it's very relaxing work actually. Good, good. And it's been a little nicer this week too. So uh, definitely great to uh, bask in the sun, uh, you know. Yeah, for sure. The winter can be brutal, especially for those of us that bike year round. Oh yes. Ain't that the truth? Uh, do you do you uh, go down Oak Leaf Trail much? I haven't in winter because it's I can never tell if it's going to be plowed where I need it to be plowed, and also the ice spots can be brutal. So, mm. luckily, I have studded tires, so that makes a big difference. Well, that's good. There you go. Um, the snow tires are, are key. Yeah, I, I try. I walk through there a lot. Um, and there is some uh, some patches of ice that snuck up on me today. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think that uh, there should be some some salt in certain parts of that trail. But it's very beautiful. Um, uh, Justine, what we talk about on Mr. Nice Guy, we talk love and fear, passion and creativity. So, um, MK Puppy Pal, um, very excited to talk about it. But first, where we usually start. Um, so are you, are you like born and raised in Milwaukee? I grew up in Plymouth, which is an hour north of here. And I grew up riding horses and showing a lot as a kid. My childhood was a lot like a Hallmark movie. <laughs> yeah. And that's where I've drawn a lot of my animal knowledge from is that previous experience of like getting thrown off every day and um, just having to cooperate with animals on a different level than just a pet. Mm -hmm. So that's where I grew up. And I had a lot of freedom, but I also didn't have my own dog. So I would just go to my aunt's house and I would play horse show in the backyard with the dog. And I didn't realize it, but we were doing agility training. <laughs> so, yeah. Sure. Um... I grew up with cats my whole life. Uh, my mom is a huge cat lady. Uh, do you like cats? I have one. She's right here. Oh, sweet. Uh, oh, <laughs> she, is she taking uh, a little snooze? Yeah. I have some art out that I'm working on. And whenever I have an art project out, she has to claim it because she doesn't like that it takes away from her petting time. Yeah. 
and it's usually like a fun fabric too so what's her name her name's stella oh shout out to stella oh she we woke her up (laughs) (laughs) oh that's cute oh yeah i love that i um yeah i i feel you on the uh um like where the cat if, if something like diverts your attention from them like they have to sort of like reclaim your attention when i would be with my parents like i'd be at the computer you know and um our cat charlotte like she, she's a big girl um she used to like come like between like she used to like sit on the keyboard like she'd like prevent me from typing um like and there was just no way I could like avoid her at that point. Um, but she used to just like put herself between me and whatever I was doing so that I would pet her. She's kind of a diva. Yeah. Yeah, Stella is a lot like that too. Um, she actually helps me a lot with dog training. Oh, really? Yeah. Because teaching cats how to do things takes a lot more effort and good timing and you have to be very positive you can't put any pressure on them or they freak out right so it actually is a really good she's a very good tool for teaching me how to train dogs basically so I'll try out new commands and stuff on her oh that's sweet yeah nice yeah she's she knows some stuff. She can sit, um, come here. She knows place. Oh, so wow, that's that's pretty cool. That's way more yeah. than my cats ever knew. Uh, <laughs> um, that's sweet. Uh, she's really pretty. Um, is she tortoise shell? Yep. Beautiful. Yeah. I grew up with a tortoise shell cat. Uh, love that. Uh, thank you for sharing, Stella. Yeah, you're welcome course um so you like grew up um you said you were around horses a lot um like do do you still get to uh interact with horses much I do get to ride basically whenever I want but I don't have a car right now so it's kind of when I can borrow a car I'll go get a lesson um last winter my car was totaled and before that I was actually working at a barn doing stalls in the morning so I would do stalls for three hours in the morning and then I would go to work after that for about a year and it was really awesome work. It's also one of the most dangerous jobs you can possibly have. <laughs> really? Yeah, because you're going into a horse's stall to clean their stall and they can just freak out. <laughs> yeah. And they often do, you know, especially around breakfast. They totally lose it in breakfast. They're like fighting with each other, trying to bite each other through the walls. It's really, it's entertaining, but it can also get like real, real fast. Oh yeah, I believe it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But that also helped me with dog training because you, your timing has to be so perfect and you have to catch things so early and it just made me a stronger dog trainer plus i could bring dogs there so i'd be training while um i would be cleaning stalls and stuff so Uh, love that cool um that's great uh that's actually a good segue into how did it all kind of start like getting into dog training well after college, I worked at the, at the medical college for four years. And there I did a lot of animal experiments. Um, 
until I just got to a point where I knew it just was not the future for me because I was kind of at an impasse of either going to graduate school or I just knew that what I was doing wasn't working for me. So I started exploring different things and I was serving tables at Central in Bayview for like another four years. And it was pretty good, but I really hated it. Like really, really hated it. It was totally bad place for me. And I was like, how did I get into this situation again? And I'm so grateful for that experience because I needed the motivation to get out. Like I, again, found myself in a situation where it just was not the right working environment for me. And going to that place every day and just like really hating it made me motivated to you know do the long nights of studying getting my certificate for dog training and working an extra job to pay for different training programs and internships and stuff like that on top of working you know, like eating one meal a day just to make rent, yeah. you know, volunteering, fostering dogs as much as possible. You know, having a job I hated really helped me. <laughs> I know <you>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been there myself, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, um, what happened at that job was I was training for the Riverwest 24 and they knew about it for like a long time. And I had been there for four years at this point, you know, I knew everyone there and they scheduled me on that day, even though I had asked off months in advance. And I was like, I'm just gonna push myself off the deep end and yeah. <laughs> see what happens. I was just so mad. I was like, you can't do this to me. Yeah, yeah. You can't do this to me. And I was like, if I tolerate this, this is never gonna end. I, this is my time. And it kind of sucks that I had to get to like such a painful point, but otherwise I would never have leave. I would never leave if it was comfortable and they were nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I get that. So, what would happen after that? Um I just hustled a lot and got enough dog walking clients to make rent the next month and I was also like hustling tamales on the side too trying to just make as much as possible and I just every month was like the hardest month I've ever had but I just kept going I don't know how it's yeah. crazy it's I'm kind of going through that right now um the pandemic like uh it's just with like how hard it is like how you know the 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 like the unemployment and the relief and the stimulus and stuff like that is so temporary like i've been kind of struggling with that myself so yeah it's not fun it's really not fun um but that's super cool that you you know, you clearly persevered and uh, you made it through that and uh, eventually uh, clearly like turned into something that became your livelihood, which is really awesome. And so I guess uh, that's the next question is how did MK Poppy Pell start? Um, well, I started walking a friend's dog who was 
way too reactive to have a normal dog walker. And because of my horse background, I just fixed the problem, just using the techniques I already knew. And I was like, wow, that was really easy and super satisfying. And I just realized that I have so much more security working for myself. Yeah. You know, yeah. like having bosses who just like throw me under the bus yeah. versus having versus being my own boss and like I actually make decisions that are good for me, you know? Yeah. And as I got a, a few more clients just doing dog walks, I realized I needed a lot more experience because I knew that just walking dogs was not going to give me the freedom that I really, really wanted and needed. So I started fostering and kind of breaking into the dog industry, you know, mm -hmm. and after thinking about the type of lifestyle I want to have, I just decided dog training would be the most um, economically viable one for what I want to do. And it's so diverse. Like yeah. there's so many different types of training out there. Mm -hmm. And there's so many people that need help. Like we actually don't have enough trainers. Like we need so many more. And I really hope that other people choose this profession because um, it's really important that all dogs have access to training because they deserve it. They really deserve to live in a in a world that is safe for them with people that understand how dogs operate mm -hmm. and what makes them be very easy to live with. Because I'm finding that a lot of people just don't know a lot of basic animal care. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that just comes with how, how children are treated in their childhood around animals where they're not really given that much responsibility. And so I feel that unless you have a special pet that requires like a lot of work from the child, like a pony, there, it's more like a teddy bear that walks around, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, so how long have uh, you been doing MK Puppy Pal now? I would say, oh my goodness, like four years, four or five. Great. Yeah. Awesome. That's super, that's super dope. Um, does it feel that long? It feels like I started last month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Because it's, I'm changing so much with the um, different programs I'm offering and everything that it always just feels really, really new, which is very exciting. Totally. Yeah, now I get that. I've been doing this show for two years and I feel the same exact way. Um, so tell me about the programming. I, I looked a little bit at your website. Um, you, you offer you know, several different uh, avenues of um, helping dogs with like overcoming certain obstacles and whatnot. So yeah, I'd just love to hear about the various uh you know specific services you offer 
Cool. Well, my favorite one is my walk doctor program, which is where I do all the heavy lifting and the owner does all the easy lifting. And I take the dog out for five days a week and I play to my strengths with training on walks. Mm -hmm. And then I also offer Marco Polo videos that really help the owners see what I'm doing. And it just adds like a fun way for us to communicate and do a lot of the work together. So that program usually lasts about a month. And I shape it that way so it's long enough for the people and the dog to form a habit. Because mm -hmm. it takes about a month for um, new habits to solidify. And after that, we are open to my other services like bike training, which I love doing. I love biking with dogs. It's one of my favorites ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also offer e-collar training and separation anxiety and containment phobia training. Mm -hmm. um, that program is a bit different. It's actually all virtual. And I set it up as a game. So when it comes to separation anxiety and containment phobia, which are both conditions where the dog panics and destroys the home, usually, yeah. or ends up escaping somehow, it can be very devastating and a very expensive problem to have. Mm -hmm. One of my first training clients ever was severe, was a severe couch eater. Oh, she's, yeah, she's eating like three couches. Oh, damn. Yeah, she's an Australian Kelpie. So they're basically border collies on steroids. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Okay. And so I developed a lot of these techniques from working with her. And you have to go to war at this problem. And what I mean by that is, you know, just giving her some treats right before you leave isn't going to cut it. Mm -hmm. Just changing the diet isn't going to cut it. Yeah. Just giving her more to do isn't going to cut it. You have to do multiple different strategies at once in order to treat this issue because it operates a lot like PTSD in dogs mm -hmm. where yeah. they're triggered mm -hmm. by something and then it's just they go into a total panic yeah. and they have to learn to calm down in very small increments. And there's five phases that the dog has to go through during treatment. So you have to do different games in each phase and you have to, you have to, um, beat the game in order to level up. So that's why I make it into a game because the homework is so boring. It's the most boring homework in the world. It's so difficult to do because what's difficult to do or what's easy to do is very easy not to do. Okay, sure, yeah. So that's why I structure it as a game where you have to beat the, the separation anxiety game. 
And that's all done virtually with Marco Polo. Okay. Um, so that program is really great for those that have dogs that howl and cry the entire time they're gone. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Or dogs that are eating the door trying to escape. Yeah. Mm. Stuff like that. I I love those types of dogs because I don't know. It just resonates with me somehow. I'm just like I it's easy for me to recognize what is going on because I've been training myself to hone in on very small body language signals, which is part of why it's such boring work because you're just watching the same thing all day long. Yeah. 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 Sure. So you have to have a lot of patience for that kind of work. Yeah. And it's all on the owner too. So that's what makes the separation anxiety issue very difficult to treat because I can't just go and do it for them. Yeah. And a lot of times it's an environment issue. It's not so much an issue with what the owners are doing. It's more so the order of operations is kind of messed up. And you just have to do some counter conditioning. So. Yeah, okay. And so, um, and when you, you were talking about containment phobia and that's like when the dog can't be held in like, you know, like a smaller, like finite space, like it struggles with that. Yes, yeah, so the difference between containment phobia and separation anxiety is containment phobia is when you put your dog in a crate and they destroy it or hurt themselves trying to escape. Okay. They just cannot be confined and they totally panic. Um, and that usually presents itself like right away, like day one, you know, your dog has containment phobia or they like cry all day. They'll like foam at the mouth. Their paws will get super sweaty. They'll like pant. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to watch. Um, but separation anxiety tends to happen a little bit later mm -hmm. after about a month or well actually after about a week it it will often start where the dog feels insecure about the emotional attachment of the person probably because you know they don't have a good sense of what the schedule is yet and they're allowed to have a lot of freedom in the house so when the owner leaves, it upsets the dog because they feel that the owner doesn't have the right to leave them. Yeah. And then they panic. Mm -hmm. So it's very subtle, but I actually can tell the difference usually by seeing what the destruction looks like. Mm, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Like, like containment phobia destruction is a lot like a toddler tantrum, but it's usually by an exit. So it's like they're usually trying to get out. So they'll go to the, they'll destroy the door or the window by the front of the house. Um, separation anxiety is way more spiteful. So they'll like, poop on your pillow <laughs> or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah or you know um it's definitely more of a panicked response it's not going to be so much it's going to be like the dog chewing things that smell a lot like the owner 
versus just going for the exits. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Damn. Well, that is a valuable service you provide then. Um, does that um, does that conclude uh, when you were naming off the services that you provide? Um, I also do reactivity, obviously. And I teach people what to do when a loose dog comes up to you. Mm, okay. Which is a very, very big issue, especially in River West. And I actually believe it's my mission to teach our community how to handle this situation because it's all of our responsibility to do our part to not spread reactivity because that's exactly what's happening. It's being spread from dog to dog. Whenever a dog is able to just run up to another dog without permission. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the main rule is do not let the dogs touch. Okay. If they don't touch, there's no dog fight. It's really hard when you're going down by the trails by the river because that's an area where it's so interesting for dogs. It's very difficult for them to have a recall that's strong enough to not mess with other people when they're on the trail. And you know, it gets like pretty crowded down there. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I don't take dogs down there anymore. Mm -hmm. I just go there by myself. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yep. I, I hear you. Um, how can, uh, so if folks are interested in your services, uh, what's the best way to uh, get in touch with you? You can go to my website and fill out a contact form, or I'm pretty easy to find on Facebook. So that's been my main mode of social media that I'm using for my business. It's just really nicely set up for businesses, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll be sure to be tagging your website then. Excellent, well, thank you. You're very welcome. Um, what is, um, so you said you, you also foster, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. What is, what is fostering taught you about the kind of work you do? Fostering is how I became a dog trainer because you get to see dogs in their worst state and help them access and heal into a really healthy state. It's an amazing way to learn about all different types of dogs because you can just pick out what dog you wanna foster. And it has really helped me to always read the dog that's in front of me and not rely on past experiences with a dog. Because when you're working with a rescue dog, who the personality you see day one is so different, even a few days after that usually. Yeah much less a month or a few months. Mm -hmm. So you learn to always have a fresh slate on whatever animal you're working with. That way you're not surprised when they suddenly try to bite because you have, you are looking at this dog with, the anticipation like, 
oh, this dog could bite me. And when you have that mentality, you're always prepared. It's when it does happen, then it's not a surprise and you're prepared for it. So I always tell owners to not let their dog roam around and be give them too much freedom the first month because it can go sideways really fast if you just if they get confused with their role in the home they can cause a lot of harm unintentionally you know especially if they came from a situation where they were totally unsocialized before and that's always super funny when you like come home and you see the dog just like sitting on the counter. You're like, have you ever been in a home before? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what I would do in that, in that situation, to be honest. <laughs> Probably like take a picture of it and then be like, okay, you, you got to get down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The biggest thing is also not getting attached to things because foster dogs will destroy everything that you love so um yeah just put the things you love away yeah. for that first month and then you can bring them out slowly once you know if you can trust them a little bit when they know the rules of the house word you know, I've never owned a dog. I hope to eventually, but <clears throat> these are good things to know. Do you just do uh, MK Puppy Pal by yourself? Is it entirely just you? Yep. One woman operation. Yeah. Um, I do have... So a couple people that I bring on when I need help, but for the most part, I like to just work by myself. It makes everything smoother and then I don't end up doing too much because I can't take on too much because it's just me. And also, Having, owning a business can be really stressful. So having the least amount of things you have to juggle is really, really key, especially when things go sideways and you have an unexpected expense or something. It's really nice not having the pressure of having to pay someone else when I like can't, when I'm not make, pulling any money in, you know, like during the pandemic, there were a couple months where I wasn't working really at all. Yeah. And that was really stressful because I didn't, I had to basically live on a savings. Yeah. And if I had employees, there's no way I would have been able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Certainly hear you. Last thing I kind of wanted to talk about. So there's obviously that, like, you know, there's the fabled myth of the rivalry between cats and dogs. Um, does that, like... Does, is that like a real thing that you've seen? And like, I mean, I know you said that your cat has helped you a lot with your work. Um, but like, is that kind of just like a, a, a myth that's propagated? Or is there really like, have you seen like actual real contention between cats and dogs in your, in your time of doing what you do? So there's two different parts of this conflict. One is the person part. So a lot of it is made up in people's minds of cats versus dogs. You know, there's cat people and dog people. And 
it's just kind of perpetuating uh, us versus them mentality of like, who's better. So I think a lot of the cats versus cats and dogs not getting along thing has a lot to do with people just having that in their mind already. So the basis for why dogs and cats have difficulty communicating is because of eye contact. Mm. Eye contact means totally different things for cats and dogs. Okay. For dogs, eye contact is very intimidating and um, predatory. For cats, they're staring because they're learning information. It's very passive. So you have the dog thinking the cat is staring because they they have beef or have a problem, want to fight. Yeah. When the cat's just like, I need to know what this animal will do. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. And then what happens is the cat gets scared and runs so then they're now in this prey position so Mm -hmm. that is going to encourage the dog to chase Mm -hmm. so a lot of it has to do with very mixed signals where the dog has to learn what the cat body language means and the cat needs to learn what the dog body language means Also cats kind of have a death wish and they like to learn the boundaries of the dog by teasing the dog. Mm -hmm. They're trying to figure out what kind of temper they're dealing with and how predatory is this animal. So they're doing lots of little experiments where they're like jumping right over the dog when they're sleeping, you know. See if that activates the dog or, you know, they just mess with them a little bit just to see what the dog's going to do. Like how, how predatory is this animal that I'm living with for the most part? And there's also competition for attention as well, because dogs and cats both get very jealous. I mean, you notice with your cat like going on the keyboard just because you're paying attention to a screen (laughs) yeah right exactly (laughs) so um yeah it's definitely twofold i think i can see that that would make sense like i mean yeah their communication cues are just sound pretty different and uh understandably clash Because, like, I mean, do you, like, do you teach your cat commands much? Because, like, my mom has been telling my cats not to claw on the furniture as for as long as I can remember, and the cats still do it. But dogs, like, seem a lot more, like, um, uh, resonant with, like, um, you know, like, intentional language towards them. How do you feel, like... uh, what do you have to say about that? Like, do cats, do you feel like it's easier to tell cats, like, what to do in that way? It's different because they're not as emotionally dependent on us like mm-hmm. dogs are. Sure. So socially, they're not as motivated to, you know, do the right thing. And with clawing the furniture issue, you basically have to catch them doing it like almost every time until they give up trying. Yeah. And a lot of times you have to just remove the opportunity for a while and then set them up to, um, for you to catch them. So you, you know, like if they're scratching a chair or something, you only bring that chair out when you're 
paying attention and ready to catch the cat if they go near the chair. So then you just make the cat not want to go by the chair or it can, it's much more time consuming, which is what makes training the cat so, so good for my dog training business because it's so much harder to train her than a dog. And you have to be as, as stealth-like as your cat. You basically have to out-cat the cat yeah. when it comes to situations like that. You know, like you have to be ready to pounce on your cat when they go after your chair. Yeah. You know, um, I find that fun, but <laughs> yeah. I don't think I think most people would have to like quit their job to be able to do it which is unfortunate um and your best option is to change the environment in some way to make it less accessible for the cat and that's what makes them a little bit more difficult to train is because they're actually tame they're not really domesticated makes sense i've actually never thought yeah. of it that way yeah yeah damn i hope you're listening mom this is good good food for thought um my last question for you before we close out is uh what how was like working with dogs training dogs fostering dogs like doing mk puppy pal what is all that like how do dogs teach you about yourself it has taught me so much patience because I've had to change so much about the way that I interact with animals through the course of learning how to train. And I realize how much compassion you have to have for yourself when making change because it's from that compassion that you feel emotionally safe to do something different. It's when you, you beat yourself up about not knowing the right thing to do and just having being able to trick yourself into doing what you're afraid to do pretty mm -hmm. much has been the biggest thing I've learned for sure. And, you know, as much as I train dogs, I really am more of a therapist. <laughs> that helps people live in more harmony with their animals for the most part. And changing human behavior is the most challenging thing on the planet ever. So even just the tiniest habit that you can change is huge, it's huge. And it should be really celebrated because if you're able to change one thing, then the whole world can change. That is a great point. And uh, one that I um, highly, uh, I hold in high regard in terms of like, uh, yeah, just what the world needs. So uh, I've learned a lot about, a little bit about dogs, even a little bit about cats. Um, with uh, this conversation and I appreciate you Justine for being on the show. Um, now I I ask two two questions on the way out to everybody on the show. Um, the first one is what keeps you up at night? What keeps me up at night is I sometimes see loose dogs 
and I don't know if they're really there or not. <laughs> so that is really hard to deal with sometimes because I really believe that us as a community have a responsibility to just pay closer attention to what our dogs are doing. And an easy thing that you can do is just be outside with your dog when you have them out in your yard. You know? Yeah. Be more observational, more present. Yeah. The second question is what puts you to sleep? What puts me to sleep is knowing that I have done my best to help a dog communicate with their owner or with me about what they need. And just knowing that I get to serve people in a way that makes the world a safer place. <clears throat> yeah, I love that. You provide a wonderful service and uh, I'm glad you could be on the show. Thank you, Justine, for being here. Great, thank you so much, Ben. You're very welcome. For everyone watching, uh, I'll be tagging MK Poppy Pal so you can check it out. Um, please uh, contact Justine here uh, if uh, you need uh, help with uh, with your dog in um, training and overcoming fears, separation anxiety, containment phobia, all those things we talked about. And uh, thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. As always, we'll see you next time.